change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podgooby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Ticats finally announcing the re-signing of defensive back Siante Evans. We're going to get into some of our roster projections ahead of the start of training camp, which Odin Willing will begin on Sunday. And uh, we decided to open up the old Podsky mailbag this week and answer some listener questions. So that's all the main content we're going to get to today. But first... Uh, this opening segment, we've kind of been using the last few weeks to talk about some lighter stuff uh, and to air some grievances. And I have another grievance, and maybe this might not be a grievance, but something I just, I, I need your opinion on. I, I, I just need you to know how you feel about this. Can you please tell me why people are so enamored with CFL branded merchandise? Like, I think it was the Red Blacks online store that I saw that has started to sell some stuff with just like the CFL logo on it. And people start losing their freaking minds about it. It's like they discovered sex for the first time with how excited they are by by these <laughs> these shirts and hoodies and hats and whatnot. Which I still haven't discovered. Uh, but <laughs> one day, Josh. <laughs> one day. You'll get there one, one day, day, Mike. You'll get there yeah, one, one day. day. One day. Um, maybe I'm the one that's wrong here, and you, you can please tell me that I am. But can you explain to me why people want this? Like, isn't this similar to wanting, like, a T-shirt with, like, the NFL logo on it or the MLB logo on it? Like, I, I just don't get why this is so popular. Yeah, it's uh, I don't understand like the the excitement that's been going on uh, about it, but I can see why people would want to rock a CFL T-shirt just because there's so many people who dislike the CFL. Like, for example, like me back in the day uh, when I was a, a teenager, a CFL fan in, in Ontario, and it seemed like everyone around me disliked or hated the CFL. I would have wore the crap out of CFL merchandise. So I can kind of understand where they're coming from. They want to represent the league. But it's funny, like the people that, some people that are buying them are the, the people that are complaining about the league a lot, but want to represent <laughs> it on. And nothing wrong with that. I complain about the league a lot too. So I think the excitement is a little bit over the top, but I, I can see where they're coming from, Josh. All right, all right. I don't want to rain in anyone's parade if this is your thing, like cool. But I remember a couple years ago, Everyone made fun of, I think it was Rob Lowe was at an yeah. NFL game and he was wearing a hat that just had the NFL logo on it. And he got absolutely roasted by like everybody mm. online. And like, uh, that's what, you know, Twitter and, and those things are for. It's for cracking off jokes. But it's like, if that was, you know, worthy of scorn, maybe not scorn, scorn, you know, cracking jokes about, I guess. I, I just don't understand why this isn't, doesn't fall under the same sort of, umbrella but i guess the way that you maybe because cfl is a little more niche mm. maybe yeah. like you said in your younger years you would have worn one kind of as a you know middle finger to people who don't like the league so maybe maybe this is showing kind of your affection for the league as a whole but 
and, and maybe some people just are fans of the league and not necessarily fans of any individual team. And I think these shirts, I think the T-shirt I saw, like it has all nine team logos in the back. So I guess it's not just the the league logo. It, I don't know. It just seeing everyone just like it's it's like that that gif of I think it's um, Jonah Hill where he's like got the hands next to him. He's he's like freaking out. You know what I mean? You probably mm-hmm. yeah. That's what it seems yeah. like everyone's doing. They're just losing their freaking minds. And I just didn't. Maybe because I don't have any interest in in buying it. It just I just couldn't wrap my head around why anyone would be that enamored with with wanting something like this. Uh, to your point, I think if you if I saw anyone wearing an NFL shirt or like a MLB or NBA, it'd be kind of lame. But I don't yeah, know you why. Yeah, probably you'd probably I, crook your eyebrow and go, what? Why? We yeah, pick-, pick a team, bud. You know, but. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can kind of understand this. Uh, all right. All right. Well, two sides of the coin, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and like I said, if people are enjoying it. And I'm if they're sure. selling, I mean, more power to them. Like if they're that's selling true. like hotcakes and that's, that's a good thing, right? Absolutely. If, if this is what people want, I hope everyone's getting yeah. what they want. But yeah, I just seemed a little off to me, but that's all. Uh, moving on to Ticats news of the week. The team finally announced the re-signing of all-star defensive back Siante Evans on May the 10th. I say finally because. Because, Mike, this was posted on the CFL Transactions page on January 19th. This some sometimes happens. I mean, I wouldn't say it happens all the time, especially to this extent. But it seems to happen pretty often where fans can log on to the, the Transactions webpage. And, like, anyone can access this. Like, you just if you type in, like, CFL Transactions is, like, the first thing in Google. And fans find out about moves that teams have made before the teams have announced them. And I don't understand why teams... And the league let this happen. Like, don't you want to be the ones breaking this news? I guess that's neither here nor there. And the thing is, too, like teams know this information is going to get out. Like, it's literally on a web page that people, anyone can access. So it's not like they can hide this. So I, I don't really understand, like, why they wait. This one is a more special instance, though, because I can't remember a signing being made and not announced for nearly four months. But... Mm. Like the only thing I can think of did like someone forget to hit send on the tweet back in the winter or forget to publish the press release. Like how does something like this happen? Yeah, it's it's a head scratcher. I mean, when these things happen, usually it takes like a, you know, within a week, there's an official announcement. But to go from January to now May 10th, almost four months, almost, almost four, four months. months. I don't I don't I don't know what happened with this. It's a it's very confusing to me because. I just, I just don't get it, Josh. I, I, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. But no, I'm glad he's sense. back on the team officially. Yeah. I'm glad he's back. Um, he's a hell of a player, and uh, it just adds to the already stacked secondary that we have. That's what I was going to say next. Like, the the important part here is that he is back, and now that this move is official, you look at the secondary, and you're just like, how freaking loaded is this back end? We're going to get into when we talk, like I said at the top, we're going to talk about kind of roster projections and kind of where we see who's going to start where for the Ticats, but they don't have enough spots for all these guys they got. Like this either tells me someone's getting cut or someone's coming off the bench that could be a starter on any other team in the league. Yeah, it would have to seem that way. I mean, because we have have seven legit starting uh, defensive backs for only, you know, six positions or whatever it is. So yep. maybe they slide into a linebacker position, but we'll get into that in a bit. We will. So let's move on now with training camp just days away. You and I decided last week off the air that it would be fun and maybe even a little embarrassing uh, when we, in retrospect, when we come back to this in a couple of weeks, for us to kind of parse through the Ticats roster and make some guesses, educated guesses, but guesses nonetheless, on how the Ticats might construct their starting roster for the 2022 season. Uh, some of these moves are obvious, and we won't spend much time on them. 
But even with as solid as this roster is heading into training camp, there still are some areas where questions exist. I think we would, would both agree on that. We'll start with quarterback, and this one will be quick. Dane Evans is the starting quarterback. I really don't think there's much to, to talk about here. He's going to be the starter. Barring injury, Matthew Schultz will be the backup. And one of these young guys will be either the third quarterbacker or the guy on the practice roster. Like, we can probably move on from quarterback pretty quickly, right? Yeah, there's no doubt this season, the past couple of seasons, obviously, we had uh, two starting quarterbacks, caliber quarterbacks. Uh, there's no doubt this year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Dane, and, and that, that's all there is to it. They didn't pay him all that money to sit him on the bench. They didn't like Jeremiah Mazzola go to sit him on the bench. Uh, moving on to running back, and I think we can kind of kill this one almost as quickly as we did with quarterback. If he's healthy, Don Jackson's going to start. We're going to get probably a healthy dose of Sean Thomas Erlington and Malik Irons. But, I mean, other than maybe roster ratio considerations, if, if injuries happen or an injury to himself, this is, this is Jackson's job to lose. This offense was so much more dynamic when he got in there late mm-hmm. last season. There's no way they brought him back, especially with a two-year contract extension, with the plan not being to have him be the starter to start the season. Now, Donnie Jack is the guy, and there, there's no doubt about that. I mean, just based off how he played last season and his time with the, the Stampeders, uh, this guy's a legit starting running back, and uh, he's going to do great things this year, I think. Do you think we might see, especially Sean Thomas Arlington, maybe get because he's he's a talented dude, and if he didn't get hurt in 2019, maybe Don Jackson's not even on this team because he was on his way to it looked like at the start of that season to becoming the next I don't want to say Andrew Harris, but the next Canadian running back who was going to be a full time starter in this league. They're going to have to find a way to get him on the field, don't you think? Like maybe they throw him a little bit in the passing game, or because we've seen him excel there, but they got to find a way to get this weapon on the field, no? Yeah, I would have to agree with that. You know, he looks so, uh, so good in 2019. Like you said, that injury kind of derailed him. He didn't look as good as he did before it. But uh, I still think this guy is very talented and can uh, contribute to this team in a, in, a, in a big way. So whether that's occasionally a running back or occasionally in the slot, I think he'll be on the field, um, you know, catching balls or, or getting the ball handed off to him. For sure. For sure. Moving on to receiver. And this is where I think we can finally get into some our first real discussion of, of the show uh, when it comes to the roster. Do you agree with me on this? I think it's safe that four spots in the receiving core are probably pretty locked in. Maybe not, you know, written in pencil or chiseled in stone, but I feel like they're pretty safe. Braylon Addison, Tim White, Stephen Dunbar Jr., and Lamar Durant, I feel are pretty secure as mm-hmm. four of the five starting receivers. Do you agree with that one? Yeah, absolutely. So it's the fifth spot where things get a little murky. So... Who do you think will emerge as the number five receiver on this team? Yeah, that's a tough one because <clears throat> we don't know if they're going to be playing uh, two Canadians at receiver because, um, and with the new rule changes, uh, we don't know if that guy is going to be utilized more often too. So if they're going Canadian, I'm going to have to say Ungerer, but otherwise, you know, it's pretty much wide open. You got a lot of guys that don't have, you know, a big name in the CFL. Um, they brought in some new receiver receivers like like Tony Brown. Um, I'm seeing Marcus Green is 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 on in the lineup. Anthony Johnson. There's a couple a couple names that I don't even recognize, but I'm gonna have to go with if they start a Canadian at that fifth position, it's Unger. If not, maybe Poppy White, the white uh, the white twins. Maybe they're both in the lineup. Yeah, was- Poppy showed some good stuff last year. I mean, mostly in the return game, but he showed that he could catch the ball as well. Yeah, I was thinking it's the same thing here. I think the ratio and how they decide, let's work on the assumption that they're going to have to start seven Canadians, that the ratio is not going to change. Because until we, honestly, until we hear that they've decided to change the ratio, that's how I'm going to operate. I'm going to operate that the team has to start seven Canadians anywhere they want on the field. 
a lot of the ratio, it'll depend. Like, are they, and we'll get into the offensive line in a bit. Are they going to start five Canadians along the offensive line? How many Canadians do they plan to start on defense? Like, the ratio is kind of underlining all of the roster decisions and kind of the question marks in my mind that we have with this team. Because if they decide, okay, we're going to play one, we're only going to play four on the offensive line, and Adela K is going to be our only starting Canadian on defense. Okay, well, then they're going to have to play a Canadian in the receiving core, and I agree with you, it'll be younger. But if they decide, we traded for Kyle Saxley. We're going to have him start at left tackle. Okay, now that's five on the offensive line. You have Lamar Durant. That's your sixth Canadian. And we know Adelike is going to start, barring injury, in the secondary. And even if he gets hurt, they got Stavros, Katz, and Tonus. And we'll get deeper into the secondary as we go through these position groups. So a Canadian is starting on defense at safety, I think, unless both those guys get hurt. So now it's like, okay, they start an American at receiver. And you mentioned a couple of newcomers. There's a couple other guys that got written down here, Emmanuel Butler uh, and Derek Vickers are, are two of mm-hmm. the five. You mentioned the other three newcomers that this team has. We didn't know who Stephen Dunbar Jr. was last year. We didn't know who Tim White was last year. We didn't know who Poppy White was last year. And now we have two of those guys penciled in as starters. So one of these newcomers could very easily become a starting receiver on this team, especially, as you mentioned, with the new rules and the changing of the hash marks. Mm-hmm. How does that change how teams deploy that fifth wide side receiver now that it's not so wide? on the field and he's probably going to get, you know, one or two more balls. Do they put a guy like Poppy White out there and allow him to just be the speed demon that he is and throw deep routes on that wide side of the field that's now closer to the quarterback? So I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to put myself on the spot. Who do you think is going to be the fifth receiver to start the season? I'm going to go with Poppy just because uh, he was there last year. We've seen what he can do. And I think that the Canadian talent is going to be um, I think we're very deep with Canadian talent, so I don't think they'll need to start two Canadian receivers. Okay, I like that call. I hate to agree with you because that doesn't make for very fun back and forth, but he'd be my... The only reason I think he doesn't get the opportunity is they want to save him for special teams. But mm-hmm. I think with Steinhauer having been around when Brandon Banks came to Hamilton and saw how long it took them to before they finally realize, hey, we should put him at receiver and how well he did, maybe they'll be a little more amenable to giving the the guy who's going to be the return guy. Because I think barring something spectacular, Poppy White's going to be the return man to start the season. I think they might be a little more malleable in the fact that they'll be like, well, let's give this little guy a... Because he's, he's, he's not a very big dude, but no, let's let this five, guy... 5'9", nine, one, 170. And I've seen him in person. He's If he's 5'9", I'm 6'8". Like, I don't think he's that tall, but maybe they're going to finally like, let's give this kid a chance and and see what he can do because they do have a plethora of other Americans. They do have Unger. They still have Tyler Tarnowski. They drafted Adrian Smith's son, Keandre Smith in the draft. Like they have a lot of guys. This, this to me is one of the more interesting camp battles. I think we'll see uh, in 2022. Yeah. Just last year, I just want to say like, you know, the, the receiver positions were pretty much, you know, we knew who the guys were basically going yep. into camp and, you know, with getting rid of banks and, you know, it's, it's, it's put up a lot. Ackland, Ackland left to go to, to go to Ackland, Ottawa. Zach. They got rid of Devere Posey in the middle of yep. the season last year. Like last year we went into the camp going, okay, Ackland, Posey, Banks, Addison, Unger, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was another Canadian. I think those were the guys. And it was like, that's the receiving core. And we knew it going into the season. And then look what look, look at the receiving core that ended the season. Completely different. So that's yeah. the kind of the beauty of the CFL. These guys come out of nowhere and, and become household names and, and star receivers. I, if I'm to pick a guy out of the receiving core that I think is going to have a big year, 
Bop, bop, keep it. Oh, keep right, it. right, 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 right. You're right. Okay, I'll keep that yeah. to myself later. You're right, you're right. My bad, my bad, my bad. Before we finish with receivers, I think we would be remiss if we didn't also mention the presence of Jake Burt, the fullback, slotback, right. tight end hybrid, who the team took first overall in 2021. We were, You and I, I remember last year, we had a conversation about him, especially after the draft. We were both kind of intrigued as to how the Ticats would use him because he is like a legit tight end, and we don't normally see that in the CFL, but... Of course, we never saw him play last year because a quad injury kept him off the field the entire season. Nikola Kalinic is now in the NFL playing for the Indianapolis Colts or at least giving, getting a shot with them. And even if he gets cut, we won't see him until after Labor Day at best. That opens the door for Burt, I think, to have a much larger role provided that he can stay healthy. So Mike Housen, my buddy, basing this on the idea that Burt will be healthy this season, how big of a role do you see the former top overall pick having in 2022? Uh, I see him having like, you know, here and there in the offense, maybe a package or two. Um, not, I don't see him contributing a lot on offense. I more, I see him, you know, doing his thing on special teams and working his way uh, into the lineup. And he, you know, he might not like that, but uh, I just don't see him having a huge role in the offense this season. Are you basing that on the fact that Kalinic didn't have a huge role in the offense? Yeah, that's that's part of it. Um, you know, it's like I would love to get him in the slot every once in a while and just, you know, use that big frame, get him running um, at some smaller D, DBs and maybe uh, t- especially in the red zone where the, the guy is so big that you could just toss it up and you could jump it up for it. So hopefully we see some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm hoping that we see him on like second and short and they run some passing play like second and three, having that guy kind of do a five yard curl hit him right in the mm-hmm. gut, fall four first down, and, and and the red zone too. Like a dude that big going against, like if you split him out to in, in the mm-hmm. slot and have him going up against one of the smaller Sam linebackers with his size and and that could be a, a, a mismatch. I mean, the Ticats didn't really use Kalinic in that role all that much. Kalinic was more of a, he, he went to York, didn't mm-hmm. get a ton in the, passing game because York's passing offense isn't that good was more he was he was a special teams guy they brought him in to be great on special teams and he just happened to contribute on offense I don't think you select a guy like Burt first overall coming from Boston College having spent time with the New England Patriots to not do something with him offensively yep. I think I think he's going to have a larger role than Kalinic will I don't he's not going to be a thousand yard guy or anything like that like he's not going to be Gronkowski coming coming across the middle or anything like that but I do kind of expect him to to contribute, I think, a little bit more than maybe you do. That's fair. Yeah, and I hope you're right, too, because I want to see what this kid can do, right? I mean, we've had trouble with our first overall picks in the last, you know, five or so years, and I'd like for this one to uh, work out for the team. All right, on to your favorite now, Mike, the offensive line. After the trade that netted the team Kyle Saxler the day before this year's draft, I think the questions surrounding the offensive line aren't as big as they were just two weeks ago when this would have been who's going to play left tackle, who's going to play left tackle. That's going to be the only thing we talked about. Now, the question for me with the offensive line, and maybe you agree with this, I mean, left tackle is still a question, don't get me wrong, but I think I think the big question here is, will the Ticats go all Canadian along the offensive line? Because if they do, that will answer, as I said earlier, like the ratio to me is is the underlying factor in all of the, the roster decisions. If they decide to go five along the offensive line, that changes the math everywhere else on the team. So what do you think? We know that they've brought in a, a, some Americans that we'll talk about in a second. We know that they have some Canadian talent here. Do you think the Ticats are going to go five Canadians along the offensive line? Or do you think Saxlid will boot out with Manziet? Because I, I think, uh, tell me you agree with me, Revenberg, Van Zyl, Locks, and they brought in Alex mm-hmm. Fontana. I think you don't sign a guy in free agency after losing your center, bringing a center. I think those three guys are Locks. So it's really just that right guard spot that would Manzi held down late last year. 
maybe if, if Saxlid goes there, they start an American. If they like Woodmansey, I think Saxlid goes to right uh, left tackle. How do you think this is going to play out? Is it is it Canadians along the offensive line, or are we getting an American there? I think it's up in the air right now. Obviously, um, I, I think they're, they they don't know what they're doing with it. Um, I, I think they'd like to start five Canadians along the offensive line because that's just such a huge thing for the ratio. But I just want them to evaluate if if the guy that they brought in that played in Alabama. Uh, the American that can play tackle. If he's legit, I say you start him at left tackle and then you move uh, Saxlid to, to right guard because you know that he can start in this league. Nothing against Wood Manzi. I think that he's going to be a good player, but uh, better is better, right? So yep. uh, I'm going to go with four Canadians and one American on the left tackle position. Okay, out of the four Americans that they have, I believe it's Travis Vorncall, you mentioned the guy kid from Alabama. I think his name was Corn Curvin, if I'm not mistaken. There's DeAndre Wesley, and I'm I think it's Tyler Johnson is the fourth American. Is there one of those four that you're most interested in seeing get get first crack there? I'm interested in the that Curvin kid. Yeah, um, just he because comes of from his Bama? pedigree. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know he didn't start. He started games, but he wasn't like you know he didn't start every game he was there. And I think that maybe if he was at you know, at any other school than Alabama, he would probably be starting every single game where he was at. So he, he intrigues me. And it doesn't mean that just because he went to Alabama that he's going to be a good starter in the CFL. But just his pedigree intrigues me. He's a very big man. And uh, I'd like to see him at the left tackle. But it, it's hard know. to ignore that he went to Alabama. Like it is. I, I hate Alabama. Even though I bet on them to win the championship last year against Georgia, I was when they lost, I was like, eh, that's fine. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. The money I lost was, oh well. Alabama didn't win. Okay, I'm okay with that. But they're so good, and and they have guys that they've had. Again, the, you know, it's not a one to one translation, but they've had guys that were third string running backs in their team get drafted in the third round of the NFL draft and become starters in the NFL. Yeah. Like just because you don't get a starting position in Alabama doesn't make you. If you want, if you're a scholarship athlete at Alabama, you're pretty damn good. They don't just give scholarships to anybody. Mm-hmm. Touching back on Saxlid for a second, he's going to start. I didn't put yeah. him down as a lock to, lock to start just because I don't know where he's going to start, but he's going to start. You don't trade for a guy like that, a proven commodity, and not put not put him on the field. Like He's going to be a starter. They're going to start at least four Canadians on the offensive line. That is a guarantee. You can If, if I'm wrong on that, then may Odin strike me down. But it's just a question of whether it's whether he plays at left. I, I, left tackle yeah. or right guard like that's yeah. that's the only question mark with him and um, that's the thing right like bringing him in a guy that can play tackle or guard i mean that's a good thing to have so of course versatility um, that, that that's been a hallmark of the Ticats team since ken austin took over positional yep. versatility has been huge for this team and you know i you know i was i always sweat about the offensive line but <laughs> i must say the additions in the last month or two have made me uh not as scared really yeah i i think Saxlet. I like to call him Sexlid, but uh, Sexlid, <laughs> it's um, he's proven that he can he can play in this league, even though it was long an offensive line that wasn't that great uh, last year. It doesn't mean that he played bad. So I just think that it's such a better. I think they had to make that trade because you're not drafting an offensive lineman and then throwing him in there right away. So just to get that extra experience along the offensive line, I think is a good thing. I personally think the Thai Cats are going to start my if, if I if you put me on the spot, which we that's the whole point of this. I say they're going to start five Canadians on the offensive line. I think they have enough depth to do it. And that's how I think this is going to go out. However, if we play the what if game, 
DeAndre Wesley, who I believe comes from BYU, he talk about a big dude. I think he's six seven, three thirty. He spent some time on Edmonton's practice roster last year. That's a huge man, and he's the one. If there were guys that intrigued me, that like kind of unknowns, he's the one that stands out to me amongst the four mm-hmm. offensive linemen. You mentioned Curvin, so I didn't want to go the same route as you, but DeAndre Wesley's a guy that I'm like, if the Ticats are going to go with an American left tackle, that's the guy that I'm going to keep my eye on as training camp goes. All right. Well, then we'll we'll have uh, something interesting to watch there. I mean, obviously, we were going to watch the left tackle position anyways, but uh, uh, we have a little bet, a little friendly bet to uh, that left tackle. All right. Let's move from offense to defense, and let's start with the defensive line. This is the area of the defense that I think saw the most turnover during the offseason. Gone is Premier Sackmaster Jagarrett Davis. In is Mega Beast interior lineman Micah Johnson. Team also brought back Ted Laurent and Dylan Wynn on new contracts, and Julian Hauser is still around as kind of the unsung fourth horseman of sorts. I think it's impossible to state just how big of an impact losing Davis will be. But in your mind, does the addition of Johnson make up for it at least a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. I think you can have a nasty, nasty rotation in the middle of that line with uh, that addition. So, and I think think we're going to be okay along the defensive line. Uh, you know, you got you got guys that uh, actually impressed me last year, which was a guy like Carney. You know, he mm-hmm. didn't play that much, but the time that he got at that defensive end position, he played really well. So, listen, we're going to miss Jagger Davis because, like you said, he's the sack master. But I think as a unit, collectively, we can make up for that. What does your defensive line look like? Because they have three starting caliber interior linemen. And I, the, I, I, I listened to the season preview press conference that Orlando Steinhauer gave. And they asked him, I, I think it was about Micah Johnson. And he said that he's going to slide in there next to Dylan Wynn. So it certainly sounds like Micah Johnson, Dylan Wynn are your starting interior defensive linemen, your defensive tackles. That means that Teddy Laurent, for all his talents is going to be a rotational guy. And I'm okay with that. I think you rotate all three of those guys throughout the game. I think that keeps them all fresh. I think that's a good idea. I think, I think having three of these guys on the, on the interior of the defensive line, I think is going to help them all stay healthy throughout the season. But there still is a question mark about who's going to replace Jagera Davis. Cause even if you slide one of those guys out and I think of those three, Dylan Wynn, I think we'd agree would be the most likely to get some playing time at end. I think he's probably the most athletic. He's probably, I say smallest in the sense that he's just not as big as Teddy or Micah, but I don't mean he's small by any stretch of the imagination. He's a big boy and we know Hauser's going to start. So let's, let's work on the assumption that Orlando Steiner is telling the truth. It's going to be Micah Johnson. It's going to be Dylan Wynn. And we know Julian Hauser is going to be there. Who's going to occupy that that other defensive end spot? Who's going to fill in, basically take Jagarry Davis's old job? Well, we brought in J.R. Tavai, right? He's he's an option uh, on the end. Went to USC. That's a pretty good school. But I heard rumblings that he might be retiring. I don't know. Well, I can't well, remember well. who we saw it from. Um, but it might have been on the transaction page that he's listed as retired now. But well, let's. Uh, uh, you know what? I got. Look. I'm going to go look right now. Maybe we're breaking some news here. Go to the transactions page. Let's go Hamilton Tiger Cats. And there he is right there. May the 10th. J.R. Tavai. Transfer to the retired list. Hmm. Well, well, well. well. See, that guy, he would have been my pick to, uh, you know, start on the other end besides Julian Hauser. So, well, that's um, out the window. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's a tough one now because 
You mentioned Malik Carney. Maybe he gets it. He's been with the team yeah. a little bit. Um, there's another we got uh, Justice Reed. Uh, yeah. So, he, so Justice Reed, I looked into him. He played 41 games in college. I think he went to two different schools, had 25 sacks. Holy. Yeah. And 41 that's games. Good. That's, that's really, really good. More than basically over a sack every other game. I mean, if I would, if, if he's, if he gets the, you know, the equivalent of 25 sacks in 41 games over an 18 game CFL season, that's like 10 or 11 sacks. I'll take that. Yep. He's exact same height and weight as Julian Hauser. <laughs> Is he really? Six three, six three, two fifty five. That's what they're listed as. So uh, went to Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, that's an impressive resume for for a college career. Career. Um, so that maybe that's a guy that you know you never heard of. Yep. And he shows out in the CFL. So I I'd have to, if I had to guess, I'd say that Carney's been with the team, and I think he'll get a shot at that defensive end spot, but uh, we're going to have to wait and see what the competition brings out. So there has been some rumblings that the Ticats drafted defensive lineman from Queens, Anthony Federico, because the plan might be to start Mason Bennett, the team's first round pick. in I believe it was 2020 at defensive end. What do you make of that sort of idea? Or do you, would you prefer an all American defensive front? No, that, that doesn't really matter to me. If that guy, if he can, uh, if he can do the job, then uh, slide him in there. But you know, there's been quite a bit of hype around him since he's been drafted, and I think he's a he's a pretty good player. So um, I I could see him starting as well. All right, moving on to the linebacking core, and this is I don't think a ton to talk about here as well, with one kind of glaring exception. Simone Lawrence is back. He'll continue to be one of the league's best defensive players, playing in his familiar spot. They brought back Joe Von Santos Knox, who I had my questions about last season when they brought him in, but I thought he played pretty well for his first full season as a middle linebacker. What about you? I had the same feeling. I thought that uh, I think we both had questions going into the season, but he'd I never really he done it pretty well. He'd never yeah. really done it before, so that's kind of like okay, he's a, he's he's about Simone's size, so you're thinking maybe I don't know, maybe that that's oh, not built for kind of playing in the middle there. But I thought I thought he I thought he did well. I really did. I I didn't think they really missed anything from uh, the days of Larry Dean. So uh, no. I thought that was I thought that was a good signing and bringing him back. I thought was was the right call. But the Sam linebacker spot is one that I think could be interesting and it. It, this is what, where we start to talk about the team having, in a good way, too much talent. We had Cam Kelly last year, who I thought was excellent. And I don't know if you agree with this, but if, had the Ticats won that Grey Cup with his two interceptions that were kind of game changers, I think he would have been Grey Cup MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, There's no doubt about it in my mind. Okay, so we're, we're, we're in lockstep on that one. But the team did add a former All-Star in Alden Darby in free agency. And as you can see from, if you go check our Instagram page, Darby's been out in the community a lot the last couple of months and teams don't typically send guys out to stuff like that or bring guys in early. If the plan isn't for them to have a big role with, with the team in the upcoming season, Darby's versatile. So maybe they're eyeing him for one of the spots in the secondary, but as we'll get to in a second, that is such a loaded group that I don't know where they're going to find spots for everybody. So how do you see this playing out? Is Kelly and tough to keep his starting spot despite an excellent 2021 or do you think Darby is going to be deployed somewhere else? I see Darby taking that position. Yeah. Um, and I like Cam Kelly. Like, like we talked about, he had a great, great cup game. You know, he, he played really well in the season. I thought and so you know, it's unfortunate that he might be losing his starting job, but they just brought in so many talented DBs that uh, I could see them using one of those guys in that linebacker position. Someone's got and to he has experience, right? Too, Alden Darby yeah. has experience at that position as well. 
Yeah, someone's got to sit. Like, there's there's too yeah. many defensive backs for, and I and I can't count Sam Sam linebacker as a de facto defensive back position because yeah, it's a linebacking spot, but it's mostly a cover linebacker, and and that mm-hmm. I think that you have a question for us to talk about kind of Sam linebackers later that might change with the changing the hash marks, but we'll get into that later. But I, I there's just so many DBs and and like I said, I don't think the team would have brought in Darby and used him in such a prominent role. Like he's been all over their social media pages. He's been in and around Hamilton talking to like youth football teams and doing charity stuff. He, and he, and he's, he's a, a former all-star. He's been in the league, I think four or five seasons. He's been excellent since the day he got here. There's no way they bring him in and he's not a starter. So no. you think he's going to take over there. I, I'm inclined to agree. And I, I do feel a little bad for Kelly because I thought he was, he, he took that job from day one and that's one of the most difficult positions in the CFL to learn. And I thought he was mostly excellent all of last season. So, but like you said about uh, the offensive lineman, better is better. And as good as Kelly was, Darby is better. I'd be a little upset if I was him. You know, you, you play well all year long and you show up in the biggest game of the year and you get two interceptions and then all of a sudden you're fighting for your job. But that's professional football, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the last line of defense is also maybe the most intriguing area, I think, of the entire team. And we've talked about it in drips and drabs over the course of the show so far because of just how much talent they have back there. I don't think that can be stressed enough. We know back are Jamal Roll, Cariel Brooks, Tunde Adelike, and Siante Evans. Returning to the fold is Richard Leonard, who was with the Calgary Stampeders last year. We've already discussed the addition of Alden Darby, and we haven't even now yet had a chance to touch on my breakout playoff performer and one of my personal favorite players, players Stavros Katsantonis. The Ticats seemingly have too many good players and not enough spots to play them. A good problem to have, but a problem nonetheless. So how does this play out, Mike? Who are your starters in the secondary? Who are your five that you're picking right now on Thursday, May the 12th, to be the five guys that line up in the secondary for the Hamilton Ticats? You've already said, we've already agreed that Darby is going to be the same, so we can take him out of the equation. We got six guys for five spots. Who are your six? Yeah, you know, I got uh, Jamal Roll at uh, the cornerback spot. I think obviously Delicay is going to be the safety. You got Siante Evans at the other cornerback spot. Brooks, and you know, I just you bring in a guy like Richard Leonard. Um, I just I don't know if you go with him or not. Do you know? Which position he played? Was it halfback or cornerback? He usually plays. I can't. He played recall. both when he start when he started with yeah. Ticats in 2017. He was their field side cornerback. Then when he moved to halfback, he became a division all star. Yeah, he was great so, at both spots. We can play him and Evans. I think are because I think Evans. I I think is better as the halfback on the far side of the field. So I think Leonard could be the guy they slot in to replace Frankie Williams. Right on the, in the corner there. Yeah. So the, I think that and then Brooks at the other halfback position. Yeah. I think, um, I think, I think Brooks and Adelike are, I don't want to say locks, but I mean, Adelike is a lock. Adelike is going to be the starting safety. That yeah, definitely. Barring yeah. injuries, there's no question there. If he gets hurt, it's Katz and Tonus, And I don't think there's any question there. Brooks to me, I think is another lock at the boundary side halfback position. Roll probably is the boundary corner. Mm-hmm. Evans is probably the field half and Leonard is probably the field corner, but that leaves Cam Kelly out of the mix. And Maybe you put him at field half and Evans at field corner and Leonard comes off the bench or maybe one of these guys doesn't make it out of camp. Yeah. Like, I mean, these, these, this coaching staff is going to have a, have a 
a tough time, I think, in the in picking the secondary. I mean, and, obviously and, there's and there's Jerry, locks like we talked about, but man, oh man, there's going to be some tough decisions. And Jamal Roll, who came in last year, at, he spent his entire career as a team's field side corner, replaced Delvin Bro at boundary corner, didn't miss a beat. So you could deploy him elsewhere. Like this is, like I said at the start, this is probably the most intriguing position group on the team because there's so many ways in which they can go. Yeah, it's a good it's a good problem to have. I mean, it's you know questionable to have you know a couple starting quarterbacks, and maybe that's not a great thing. But um, if you have a plethora of talent in the secondary, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So we're going to talk about special teams in a second, but now that we've kind of broken down both the offense and the defense, out of these two areas, offense and defense, is it left tackle and whoever and the war of attrition in the secondary are the two things you're paying most attention to? Definitely, and it's always left tackle. It seems yeah, like I mean, every yeah. season. Until they get someone like you know a Stanley Bryant guy type guy mm-hmm. in here, where they're like, "This is the left tackle for the next five years." That's going to be a question until it's not a question. It seems like it's a question every single. The three questions we've all, I think, we've had almost every year that you and I have done sort of a training camp roster breakdown: left tackle, Sam linebacker. Which we we have a question this year, but the question isn't like who the hell is going to do it. It's who's going right. to do it of these two excellent Sam linebacking candidates. And the next thing we're going to get into is kicker because kicker has always been a bloody question. I mean, not always. We had Justin Medlock for a number of years. They they had Liram Hirolahu, although his second year was better. And then he took that and parlayed it to the NFL. Brett Maher came in. He was great after Medlock left. They had Sergio Castillo for a while, who if he didn't get hurt, maybe he's still the Ticats kicker and doesn't get a chance to beat, beat the Ticats in the Grey Cup. But those are the three we always talk about. And we're going to talk about kicker now. So... Is it fair to say kicker was an absolute disaster last year for the Ticats? Like it was maybe the worst yeah. year kick we've seen in over a decade. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It was uh, not very pretty. Every time they came up to kick a field goal, you, know, you held your breath. Uh, yeah, held your breath. It was very nerve wracking for sure. Are you in agreement with me? They finished one game behind the Argos last year and they lost one game by a missed extra point. If they had a better kicking last year, they they probably host the East Final. These finals in Hamilton, not in Toronto last mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah, I'd have to say so. I mean, those games were so close that uh, a kicker probably would have made the difference. So, yeah, we would have been uh, above the Argonauts in the standings, and it would have been it would have been even sweeter to beat them uh, at Tim Hortons Field in the East Final. But you know, it didn't make it. a difference. It didn't no. make a difference. Um, no. So the Ticats have brought three kickers into camp: Canadian Michael Domagala, who's a holdover from last season; Canadian Dante Brown, who was on Edmonton's practice roster last year and was a fifth-round pick of the Elks in 2020 and a global kicker named Teague leader. So out of these three guys, who do you have winning this kicking competition? I know Domagala didn't very, do very hot last year. Uh, and I don't think I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Dante Brown. Like, yep. And it's just, it's based on nothing. It's based on <laughs> nothing, but that's just a, a pure guess. And I don't know about this uh, international kid. I could see him more punting than than anything else so if i had to guess i'd say that dante brown would do the field goal kicking and the and the place kicking and um they'd get a leader to do the punting they can't give the job to domagala like that i think as as much as a kicking decision could lead to a revolt i think you would see fans just lose their mind over that would just be more the same from last year that's what we had last year and it didn't work who do we have so, last year? Bertolette, right? We had Bertolette. Yeah, and, and Domagala. Domagala played, and then Bertolette came yeah. in, and Bertolette got yeah. cut, and then Domagala came back. Like, it would just be more of the same, and I just don't think you can 
as much as you don't really have to sell a kicker, but you, I don't think you can sell it to the fan base if we're going to go with this no. same guy who last year wasn't good enough, even though we brought in competition for him. And that would just tell me like how bad was the kicking competition if this, yeah. the guy who was crap last year wins that kicking competition. Yeah, it would not be a good look for the for the team. And you know, Bertolette's kicking in the USFL now. I I noticed so. Oh. I saw him the other day. Yeah. Good for him. He, he made a field goal, so that's oh, well, good for him. Better than what he did last year. So you think Leader could be the punter? They only have one other punter on the roster, and that's uh, the global player Joel Whitford. He was the punter last year. So unless Leader does take the job from him, I guess Whitford will be the punter. But I mean, I'm hoping they're scoring touchdowns all year anyway, so there will be no need for yeah. a punter. And then as far as the return game goes, after his punt return touchdown that opened the floodgates in that East final last year, I imagine that Poppy White will be given the reins on returns once again. I don't really think there's there's a, a bunch of, of receivers that can that can yeah, return. Unger, but, Unger did some stuff last year. Yeah, but, but White's White's gonna be the guy, right? Yeah, he'll be the main guy. Him and uh, Unger Unger will be the second guy, I think. But uh, Poppy White's gotta be gotta be King Tut in the in the return game because uh, he showed he showed a lot of good stuff last year. On the eve of training camp, we're just a few days away from it opening and let's work on the assumption that the CBA stuff gets settled and we're actually gonna get a training camp. How do you feel about the Ticats roster this year as compared to how you felt last year? Are you more confident in this group, less confident, the same amount of confidence? Where Do you, do you feel like you have fewer questions this year despite losing some veteran players? I feel like they do. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of question marks on this team. Like we discussed, you know, left tackle is going to be a bit of a question mark. You know, I think like we talked about, there's more certainty within the receiving core last year, more veteran talent. But I don't think it's going to dip off in a big way in the receiving core. I think the the young guys that we have are going to be very dynamic. They're going to step up their game, and uh, we're not going to miss a beat. So if I'd have to say, I'd say I'm, I'm on the about the same confidence level as last year. Um, I would have said lower uh, before the the signings of uh, or the trade for Sackley and a couple signings along the offensive line um, has made me more confident there. So I'd have to say around the same. Cool, cool. I, and you know what's beautiful, beautiful this year? As I can't believe I'm going to say this. We get some preseason games. Where we're going to actually see some of these guys in action, mm-hmm. and I think that that will, I think that that will help these these younger players adapt quicker because they were thrown right into the fire last year. It was here's a basically a two and a half week training camp, and boom, you're in Winnipeg playing the defending champs in a rematch yeah. of the Grey Cup. So I think uh, a regular training camp with the two preseason games. I, I think will be I won't say a godsend, but I think it'll it'll help in sort of acclimatizing some of these new players who might be forced to play to get them some preseason reps. I think it'll be it'd be better. I think it might be better for the overall for the league mm-hmm. because these guys like they always say like oh they play preseason in the first couple of weeks. It felt like the first couple of months last year were guys trying to figure things out. So maybe yeah. with a, a real off season, real training camp, real preseason, things will maybe get off to a, a better start. Uh, offensively speaking, and with some of these new players, I, I, that's that's how I'm kind of reading the tea leaves myself. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that too. I, you know, preseason games aren't the most entertaining to watch, but they're always interesting. They serve a you purpose. Know, if you, yeah, if if you follow a team closely like we do, you want to see those new guys um, perform, right? So I think that it's gonna. I think the training camp and then the preseason games. I think that. Um, the first couple of games last season were preseason games, basically like in quality, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season. And I think that hopefully, you know, the first work, first week of the regular season, we'll be getting some quality football. I agree. I agree. Okay. Moving on. We decided this week, it would be fun to do something that you and I have not done 
in quite some time and decided to open up the old Podski mailbag. So, Mike Housen, you solicited some questions on Twitter. What have you got for us today? I'm liking this Mike Housen nickname. <laughs> I'm digging it. I'm digging it. You know what? Uh, you got to get, get a picture of you doing the pose, and then we'll put the we'll put his face paint on it, but in Ty Cat's colors. That's how you should go to games. That's how I should go to games, man. We're opening up many possibilities here. <laughs> uh, I'm just delaying here because I have the questions written down, but then I realized, oh, I don't have who sent the questions. So oh, jeez. Tisk, tisk, tisk. I know. I'm just not. Uh, you, are, you are very nice, but very evil. Because you're nice in the fact that you solicited questions, but evil in the fact that you can't be yes. bothered to remember who actually sent I them. I know. I know. I know. Very. And, and the, the, we've been getting so many interactions on Twitter here lately that. Uh, I'm having to scroll down here for a while. All the great content we're putting out on Twitter. <laughs> okay, first question uh, is from uh, our buddy Rodney Gallant. What happened to Frankie Williams? <laughs> well, your guess is as good as mine. You know what? I do recall. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, thrilling, thrilling podcasting here while we look stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure there is a tweet from him. Ah, here it is. Okay, so on March 17th of this year, Frankie Williams put out a tweet. I want to take this time to thank the Ticats for an amazing opportunity. Stay tuned. I'll announce my next move soon. And he has sent out since then. uh, Let's see. Two other tweets. Nope, one other tweet, which was on April 1st about if anyone received a cash app request from him in his DMs that he had been hacked. So I don't know if maybe his Twitter account has been hacked and therefore he can't access it and hasn't made an announcement yet, but a team hasn't even announced the signing of Frankie Williams. And I know he got hurt last year, but this guy's way too dynamic to not have been signed by somebody. No. Yeah. It's, it's a very mysterious. I mean, the guy was the special teams player of the year a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he can still do the return game. He's, he's a great defensive back. Um, so yeah, it's a bit strange that he's not signed by anyone because you'd think that teams would be jumping at the opportunity. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. So what happened to him? I guess the answer is we don't know. And we're as kind of surprised as anybody else that he's not on a CFL roster a few days ahead of training camp opening. Yeah, but good question though, because, uh, you know, people would like to know that. So hopefully we'll find out soon what he, what he's up to. Our next question comes from, uh, Tiger Sammy. Uh, this is a good one. If you could go back in time and change the outcome of one Ticats game result, what game and why? Here's the catch. You are not allowed to pick any Grey Cup games. Damn it. Because it was going to be last year's Grey Cup. I, I, I said okay, no you know Cups what? in the message that I sent you, Josh. I, I know. I'm just making good radio, <laughs> buddy. Okay. okay sorry. This is all supposed to be off the top of the dome. and They don't know that we prepared. Oh, oh yeah, right. This is supposed to be yes. all all pretend. Jeez, mm-hmm. give away the secret sauce. Come on, my, uh, my bad, my bad. I have three games. Uh, I know that that kind of breaks the rules, but I'll go chronologically from oldest to newest, if that's okay. So my three are the 2010 East semifinal against the Argos, the 2012 Labor Day Classic against the Argos, and the 2015 East final against the Red Blacks. So the 2010 East semi I changed, that was the Marcus Digpen fumble game. Ricky Foley, the dirty SOB that he is, took out Kevin Glenn by the knee. Kevin Glenn then made the Willis Reed comeback. Crowd goes nuts as he's coming back out on the field. 
they ultimately lose to the Cleo Lemon-led Toronto Argonauts. Now, the Argos then went into Montreal the next week and got obliterated by the Owls, who went on to win their second straight Grey Cup. I don't think the Ticats would have beat Montreal the following week, but it wouldn't be as have been as embarrassing as losing to a team quarterback by Cleo Lemon. So I'd just like to wash away the fact that the Ticats ever lost to Cleo Lemon from my brain. The 2012 Labor Day Classic was the last one played at Iverwind Stadium. To have lost that one, that's the last Labor Day Classic the Ticats have lost, actually. But to have lost that one, that was one I really wanted to have. And had they won that one, that gives them an extra win. They make the playoffs in 2012 with that yeah. offense. Who knows? Maybe they make a run in the playoffs. Maybe get That was the last game I've ever uh, attended in Hamilton, actually. Was it really? Yeah, I was there for the last uh, Labor Day game at Iverwind. I remember they, they they came on strong. They lost thirty three uh, to thirty on the last second yeah. field goal, and Chad Owens absolutely destroyed them that week. Like yeah. they Owens had like two hundred yards receiving or something. It was it was a great game because all the Tykeit game, most Tykeit games that year were great because they were the high scoring games that Ambrosi wants with you know changing the rules because the Tykeit's defense was absolutely garbage. So, but yeah, that was uh, if they would have won that game, changes the record a little bit. I think they finished. I think they finished tied, or maybe they were a game back of Edmonton. And Edmonton crossed over, but at Hamilton one, they would have had the same record. There's no crossover. They play the yada, yada, yada. And then the 2015 East final, just because I hate the red black so much. And if we, if Arnold Gascon Nadon catches that pass that Henry Burst threw right in his gut, the Ticats win that game. We never get that goddamn miracle on bank street. I never have to see those tweets from red blacks fans of Ed Ganey flailing and falling on his arse. And the Red Blacks don't get to the Grey Cup that year. The Ticats get there. I don't know if they would have beat Edmonton. That was the year that Zach. That was the year the Ticats would have won the Grey Cup if Zach Calero stays healthy. There is nobody on this earth that will convince me otherwise. But they still got to the East Final. That was Jeremiah Mazzoli's coming out game. He he was excellent in that East Final. Had the Ticats won that, they would have gone to their third straight Grey Cup. Ottawa wouldn't have gotten to the Grey Cup. I would have been happy with that at the time. Whether the Ticats won or lost is immaterial. But those are the three: the 2010 East Semi. 2012 Labor Day, 2015 East Final. Those are the three that I would change. All right. Yeah, I got, uh, I got, uh, the, I, I just have one, and it's the one, one you picked, but it was the East Sammy lost to the Argos in 2010. Yeah. And I just knew we were going to win that game. Yeah. I, I knew we were going to win it. We were a better team than them. We had a better quarterback than them. We had, everything was better, basically. And I just remember being crushed when they, uh, when they threw that last pass and it went through, I think, Arlen Bruce's hands. It, yeah. it was a high pass. Fell to the ground, game over, beaten by the Cleo Lemon led Argonauts, and it, it crushed my soul. So that's and and I I totally relate to the one other ones you listed too because I'd like to change them as well. But if I had to choose one, it'd be that game. I cheated a little bit and picked more than one, but that Cleo Lemon game though, I was still going to school in Toronto, but I was living in Hamilton at the time, and I would wear my Ty Cats gear around the city, and. The Argos weren't hot by any stretch of the imagination, but there were Argo fans in some of my classes. And I remember walking back into class. I don't think, I don't know if it was the Monday or the Tuesday, but I walked in. I remember the class. It was my, uh, uh, what was it? American Studies uh, lecture. Walked in and there was a girl in the class who was a diehard Argos fan who had gone to the game. We were talking about it, the, the lecture before. I was like, oh yeah, she, she wore like an Argos hat or something. And I was like, oh, Argos fan. Like you guys suck, yada, yada, yada. She's like, oh yeah, we got the game on, you know, we're going to be. I was like, no, there's, there's no chance that the Argos are going to win this game. Cleo Lemon is garbage. And then I had to tuck my tail and walk into class 
the following week. And just the look on her face when I entered the classroom, I was just like, I do not want to talk to this woman. No. And I sat down and she sat down next to me and she's like, so Sunday, I was like, God damn it. Yeah. Good, good game. Good <laughs> luck against Montreal. You, 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 when, when you talk big and you lose, you gotta, you gotta swallow, you gotta swallow it sometimes. You gotta eat the if crow. If memory reserves correctly, they got absolutely crushed. Oh, they got Montreal. walled. They got walled. It was like, I think they lost like 50 to 17. It was, yeah, they got it was bad. Hammered. And like yeah. I said, the Cats were not going to go into Montreal. I mean, the Cats went into Montreal the following year in the East Semi and beat the Owls, but the mm. Cats weren't going into Montreal and, and beating that Owls team. That Owls team, trust me, I think they were like 15 and three or 14 and four that year. They were just absolutely amazing on their way to back-to-back championships. There was no chance. And I think even if the Cats would have done that, I think the Riders would have ended up beating them in the Grey Cup anyway. So those those early 2000s, you know, 09, 10, 11. I have fond memories of those teams because that's when the, you know, my love of the team came back. The team finally makes the playoffs for the first time. They start to become, it, that's the, the Renaissance. I, I like to call it the Ticats mm-hmm. Renaissance. That's when it started. That's when the Ticats finally started to become meaningful again in the CFL. And really with a couple blips here and there, they've been, they've been to what four gray cups since that time. Like they have been consistently in the playoffs. They're consistently gray cup contender, which yes, I, you know, everyone out there throw it in the face. that They haven't won the championship. But give me a team that's competing year in, year out and matters at the end of the season versus the the opposite. Any I would rather lose every single Grey Cup for the rest of my life than ever deal with three and 15 seasons ever again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our next question comes from Louis B., uh, employee of the Tiger Cats. He wants to know, which player in the offseason are you most excited to see? Ooh, okay, season? so I, you know what? I'm going to let you leave with it because I have three guys here, but I don't want to do what I did last time and steal one of your answers. So I got three potential answers here. I'll let you answer first in case one of your guys is one of the three that I've listed here, and then I'll pick one of the other two. All right, big surprise for me. I got two guys along the offensive line. I got Fontana oh. after after a couple of years off. You know, I'm interested to see how he plays. You know, he was a high draft pick by, by the Red Blacks uh, a couple of years ago. So, But he's been off for two years, so I, I'm interested to see. And then the, the big trade. I want to see Saxlid, whether it be – at a guard position or a tackle position, I want to see how he performs as well. Okay, none of none, of, neither of those two were the guys that I picked. So I guess Excellent. we can go. I'll go with the three that I picked. And and Louis, I know you're just mining us for for content, so you know which guys to interview, so you can get some uh, some engagement <laughs> out there. And no, I'm I'm kidding, obviously, I'm kidding. Louis, Louis <laughs> is a great guy. Um, I'm I'm really happy. Like one salt of the earth, man. I'm not not an MJF type salt of the earth. A legitimate salt of the earth. Right. <laughs> Good dude. Good dude. All right. Uh, first, I'm going to start with Alden Darby. We discussed him earlier, but and this is this isn't just because I had a chance to meet him at that Forge game. This dude, just the way he has ingratiated himself to the city of Hamilton, that's someone that I just I I, I want to get behind. And with how good he is, I'm really excited to watch him play. Micah Johnson loved him for years, whether he was with the Stamps or the Riders. Just one of those guys here like, man, could you imagine if he lined I, in my head, imagine if he lined up next to Teddy, how good that line would be. Now it's like, he's going to line up next to Dylan? Oh, man. Like, that's exciting to watch. And Lamar Durant. Lamar Durant, I wanted the team to draft him when he was uh, when he was in the draft. I think it was either 2015 or 2016. So now that he's finally here, uh, I know he hasn't really lived up to the draft expectations. But if he puts together a, a full healthy season, I think the sky's the limit for him. So I'm really excited to see what he can do in this offense. Yeah, I think, you know, L- Lamar Durant came into the league with a lot of hype. And I think that he can still live up to that hype in the right situation. So hopefully the right situation is with the Tiger Cats. Uh, some good answers there, Josh. I like it. Uh, our next question comes from Darren Major. 
Um, assuming Addison likely to be turned into the number one receiver, who are you looking at to step up from last year? White, Dunbar, other. Oh, that's right. This is the one where you told me to shut my mouth earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Steven Dunbar. I think he's going to slide into Jalen Acklin's old spot at the, uh, the boundary side receiver position. And I think with the changes in the dimensions of the field with the hash marks, I think Dunbar is going to put up monster numbers. And I would not be surprised if he finished with, let's put a number on this. I'll say 70 catches for just over a thousand yards and say six touchdowns. I think he's going to have a really big year for that. I think he's going to end up being, he's going to finish the year number two in all the receiving categories for the Ticats. All right. That's fair enough. I got Tim white taking that number two spot. I think that he showed flashes of just pure brilliance out there. He's an exciting player. I think he can, you know, make those big gains, make people miss. Um, Dunbar, I'm high on Dunbar too, but he just had too many drops for me. Yep. Um, last season, and not that that can be that that can be fixed, and uh, I hope it is because he played really well. You know, other than that, there was a couple blips in his game, but other than that, he was um a really good receiver for the Ticats. Scored a touchdown in the Grey Cup, so. But I'm going to have to go with Tim White. I just think he's so dynamic. It's not a one-to-one comparison, so I'm not doing that here. Do you think Tim White can, even saying it, even wanting to say it sounds silly, replicate Speedy B's contributions? Like, obviously not the volume and, like, the danger, but he's a smaller-ish guy. Not not bank small. He's got speed. Take it. He can take it over the top. Do you think... That's sort of the role you see him in. As, like I said, Dunbar is going to be the Ackland replacement. Do you think White's kind of the Speedy B replacement? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that, you know, he might not be as fast as Speedy B um, or as elusive, but I think that he can fill in admirably in that position. Uh, the next one comes from our buddy, loyal listener, uh, Jim Martin. With a new hash mark location, will the teams need a second Sam in the will position? And is this why the Cats seem to have seven starting DBs for six positions? Well, if that's the case, where does Simone fit in? So I think, I think no, because I think Simone can cover. I think he's athletic enough to cover guys. I think it's an interesting thought, but if the thinking is yours, your linebacking core is, let's say for example, Cam Kelly is the stays at Sam Darby's the will. Whereas, you still have Joe Von Santos Knox, and it's not like Simone's going to be a backup guy on this team. No. So I like the thinking. It's definitely an outside-the-box question. I just don't know if that makes – you know it's going to be Joe Von Santos Knox and Simone Lawrence on the linebacking group. So I, I don't see how that I – just, I just think they, they brought in a bunch of DBs, and one of them's just not going to make the team. I think that's that's all there is to it. I think yeah. – and, if, and if, I had to, if I had to guess, and, and I, I don't like doing this – my guess would be Richard Leonard, uh, probably not signed to a very lucrative contract, probably making more than Cam Kelly, however. So I think you, you know, you, you slot in Kelly at Sam, you throw Darby at uh, field side half, Siante Evans at field side corner, you know, Adele K. Brooks and, and roll in your other spots and Leonard's the odd man out. But I, I, I like where I, I, I understand where, where Jim's coming with this. I mm-hmm. just don't think with with who we know the Ticats have on their defense, I just don't know if that's that's going to be possible. Yeah, I think that it, I think those positions will evolve. Like the Sam position is already a a cover position, right? Mm-hmm. And with the hash marks, maybe it'll evolve to 
two cover guys as linebackers and then just a middle linebacker. But with Simone playing that position, I just don't see him getting replaced. Um, yeah, yeah, you're not gonna move, you're not gonna move him to rush end. He's not gonna be like he's not gonna be the no. he's not gonna be Jagger's replacement. So, and he's not gonna be. He's on just the gonna defense. have to adjust, I guess, to uh, more of a cover type role, yeah. right? So, well, and, and I, I is, have no. Go no, ahead. no, keep going. Sorry, I have no. You know, I do not doubt Simone Lawrence at all. I think that whatever they put in front of him, he will do a great job. Well, and we don't know yet what these new field dimensions are gonna mean for either the offense or the defense. We haven't seen it in action. That's another reason why I'm kind of a little excited for, to see how training camp goes and especially preseason games when teams adjust to the new locations, the hash marks. What does this mean? Like That's why I think Jim had such an interesting question because none of us know yet kind of how this is going to work out. So it's kind of you know up in the air for everybody, players and coaches mm-hmm. included. We You're going to have to get into camp and get into games before we kind of see how the the game in these positions will evolve. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to, you know, there's going to be some adjustments made, I think uh, on, the, especially on the defensive side of the ball to uh, try to, you know, if this plays out the way that the league wants it to, and there's more offense and it's harder to cover uh, defenses are going to have to make some adjustments. Well, and I was listening to an interview with, who was it? Craig Dickinson gave a, like a preseason. Eeyore. Eeyore. I, you know what though? Okay. You make fun, but I, he gave a, he was asked by someone about the new rule changes. He gave maybe the best, most detailed answer I've heard anyone give about this. And he was talking about the changing of the hash marks. And he mentioned how, how it will affect offenses as kind of negatively by saying like, when we run plays, we had like these landmarks that guys would go to. And now we have to adjust those. So I'm starting to wonder if, you know, the desired effect of these rules is to increase offense if maybe at the beginning of the season, especially when teams are kind of first adjusting to these changes, because they just came a couple of weeks ago. It's not like they've had all off season to tailor their playbooks to this. If maybe it won't have the desired effect of increasing scoring and maybe defenses will still be ahead of offense at the start of the season. I hope not. I, I really don't. But uh, hopefully it has the desired effect because we don't. And if it's just at the start of the season, that's fine. I mean, that's usually the way it is, right? The defenses are ahead of the offenses. Almost um, universally. Yeah, at the beginning of the season. So, but yeah, I really hope these these new rules, you know, make this league a little bit more exciting. Back to what it used to be. Yeah, I, I want that too. But it was just it was an inter- it was interesting hearing Dickinson talk about like because we haven't we've heard a lot mm-hmm. of fans be like, oh, these moves are great, or we've heard like guys like Ambrosi talk about it. And it's like it was interesting to hear coaches talk about it, and it was like, oh, I, you know, that's something. Because we're not, you know, we're not in the trenches. We're not designing plays. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's interesting to hear that. And again, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but that was kind of an interesting, because like you said, defenses are usually ahead of offenses to start the season anyway. This was kind of an interesting yeah. kind of twist on that where it's like, yeah, if you do make a bunch of rule changes, how will that sort of change things? Although he did, he did ultimately say that he thinks, A, he liked, he liked most of the rule change. Like he didn't say anything negative about any of the rule changes. And he does think that some of them will help in increasing scoring. So but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we will. We will. It's uh, it's it's going to be exciting to see what these these rules uh, do to the game. Uh, I'm I'm. This is like you know. Obviously, last year we missed a season in 2020, and we were excited about 2021. But I'm I'm really excited about this new season just because of the rule changes and all the new faces and all the, all that good stuff. A full season. Yeah, the it, full season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Me, the full season to me is where this. It's a regular season. Even though I've been a proponent of shortening the season. 
um, it's still good to see, you know, a full season, you know, not affected by COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's nice to see things not affected by COVID at all. That's Mm -hmm. nice. You just kind of get back to normal. Is that it? The mailbag? Have you emptied the mailbag? All the questions are yeah. asked and answered. Those are the five questions we we lined up, and uh, I thank you for for all the questions. There was many more than five, but we just wanted to limit it to uh, to that number. So uh, I think that uh, we're going to be doing this more regular this season. Yeah, the, I, I saw the amount of questions we got. Some of them, uh, some of them were out there. I, I liked a, a few of them. There was one about wrestling theme songs that I think we should delve into when we have At much more point. time to. Uh, yeah to discuss. Cause I think that could, that, that could be a fun off season question when we have very little to talk about, but yeah, let's, let's not make it so long before we, uh, we dust off the old mailbag and answer questions. This is, I mean, it, it makes it easy cause we don't have to come up with content for the show. We just let these people do yeah. it to us, give us content yeah. for free. Exactly. And you know, it was one of the suggestions that I put, you know, I put out there, you have any improvements that we can do to the show or suggestions we can make the show better. And one of them was uh, getting more questions from the fans. So I'm hoping, you know, to get the uh, the fans more involved this season. You're doing and a great I know job you are as well. You're doing a great job, though, Mike. Uh, Mike's been mostly running the the Twitter account, and uh, so if you if there's anyone you want to thank for the the player profiles and the engagement, and you I've noticed you've been much more positive the last yes. the last little while, yeah. which which I appreciate because I think mm. look we we do this for fun. Yes, it's now part of my job, but at the end of the day, we're talking sports, man. This is supposed to be fun. The Bomber fans trolling us, though, like... I'm, I'm beginning to dislike them very much, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's, it's getting... I, I get it. You guys won, but it, cool. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to take mm-hmm. that away from you. I had no, no ill feelings. I'm mad that the Ticats didn't win, but I'm not upset that, like, the Bombers won. They were the better team. That's how it happens. Mm-hmm. It's getting a little getting a little much for, my, for my taste. They're, they're definitely, they troll us the most out of all the fan bases. I think they... Uh, there's followers like they they listen to Potsky Wee like especially if we're playing Winnipeg because they just want to hear the dumb shit we say leading into the game. Right? <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know they're listening, so that's that's all good. Whether you're in Winnipeg or Edmonton or Hamilton or any, I, I know we have list uh, we have a listener I think in in the Netherlands. Like it's mm-hmm. it's wherever you're listening from, we we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for for joining us every week and letting us uh, talk football. It's it's it's. It's the best part of my week. So uh, anyway, enough uh, gushy, glowy stuff. That was Pods TV for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.